Welcome to Sintalk. The Sintalkers around the table today discuss the properties of events. We'll think about the nature of events. What is the ontological status of events? How do we remember how long ago events occurred? Is order more fundamental than interval in this context? What does it mean to feel devoid of meaning? What makes events possible? Can events be predicted or repeated in a strict sense? Are events always causative? What is an impossible event? How are existing and non-existent events annotated and interpreted in a text? How can the linguistic space be represented in the computational? And what might be the new kinds of events in the future? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Anubdhar. He is a student of philosophy and also interested in psychoanalysis and the political. He is from Ambedkar University in Delhi. Dr. Balaji Jayaprakash. He is a neuroscientist from IIS in Bangalore. He is now interested in how memories of a past help solve problems in the present. And Dr. Inderjeet Mani. He is a computational linguist and a computer scientist. He is a retired professor and is now based in Thailand. So why don't we set the ball rolling with you, Indrajit? Um, maybe in a very specific place of, um, if one looks at texts or other kinds of corpora, how does one go about searching for events? Is it is it similar to looking for an object? Is it similar to searching for an object? And that will hopefully give us a little bit of an intuition for what events might be. And I understand that it's not straightforward or it's potentially not straightforward, but why don't we start with that, if you're okay? Well, uh Thinking of it in common sense terms, mm -hmm. uh, events can be, uh, you know, all languages have ways of describing events, and typically they they define the different levels of they characterize at different levels of granularity. So we have you know things which are like broad topics, like the Trump presidency, which is an event, and you know languages have ways of describing the, this and breaking it down into its parts, and uh, and then you have more. Uh, fine-grained notions of an event, like a you know uh, something which uh, occurs uh, at a particular time, uh, which is very constrained, like you know a small uh, interval of time. Um, and uh, so, you when you say granularity in the jeet, what yeah. do you mean? Um, well, you know, you have cases like uh, you know mentions of events. When you look at a text, you have different. Uh, uh, you know, you might it might be talking about an assassination, and you refer to right. the bombing, and so it, these are all different ways of mentioning the event. Right. So this is very fine grained at the level of text. You're looking at inflected, you know, verbs and you know, verb endings, right. and uh, or you might have nouns which are uh, 
talking about, uh, you know, uh, events being referred to by nouns. Right. So those are very microscopic reflexes of these events. Right. But they, they may also be underlying events which are not described uh, directly. But uh, like an assassination may not be mentioned explicitly by the word assassination, but there may be all these different stages which are described. And the cluster of all of these reflexes and nouns and verbs could it, be... Yeah, yeah. It's not so much a cluster as it has an internal structure. So these right. events typically have... Um, uh, unlike objects in the world, uh, we think objects have a lifetime, mm-hmm. but typically language doesn't assign objects temporal properties in the way uh, it assigns events temporal properties. So That's events, so you know, through mechanisms like tense mm. and you know various kinds of auxiliary verbs like will, mm. able to indicate the future, for example. And then there's also stages, you know, whether an event is completed or ongoing. So you have uh, grammatical mechanisms. This is called grammatical aspect, mm-hmm. where you have things like, uh, you know, perfective. You know, it indicates the uh, event was completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he uh, whereas you know he he built the house. Whereas you could indicate a, uh, that something is ongoing. Uh, so different languages have a way of in- encoding that. You might use a progressive form, like he was building the house. Right. It doesn't indicate that it's necessarily been completed. So, uh, so these temporal properties of events, their substructure, uh, and the various reflexes mentions so, in the so text, the, these are annotated in corpora, and so you look for a specific, uh, you know, evidence in the corpus for events, and then you mark them up uh, using. So annotation is the first step. Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, So if one gives a raw text to some kind of an AI machine or a computer scientist or some kind of an algorithm, can you just start off with that or annotation is a necessary? There are various approaches. I mean, there's a completely supervised approach where you develop a set of guidelines for which events to mark up and how to do it. Right. And then you, somebody use an editing tool to mark up these events and then you compare different annotations to make sure the annotation is reliable across annotators. And then you generate a lot of training data for the machines. And then the algorithms kick in and learn, you know, they treat the human annotations as the ground truth. And if you give enough data to the machine in the supervised approach, they, they can then reproduce these, uh, these annotations, which include, of course, not only identifying the events, but identifying their temporal bounds. That means, you know, how long did the event last? Right. What is the temporal, what events preceded it, what succeeded it? And it may be a very fine grain. Typically, we use something called the interval calculus, mm-hmm. which basically treats events as intervals. And using intervals rather than instances more in keeping with the way language talks about the world. Because language intervals does, rather than instances. Yeah, because instance, instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, instance, instance are inf- yeah. infinitesimal basically sure. they have no duration and we don't languages based you know are based on common sense views of the world so we, everything is sort of occupies some amount of time in the way we think of things using language well, so yeah so 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 we in- encode the duration of the event uh, which has to be estimated, like how long does a war start? You know, there's going to be a lower bound and upper bound. So we can estimate durations using bounds as well. And then we have to infer the temporal relations between events, you know, which events preceded it, which succeeded it. So for that, we use the interval calculus, which represents uh, the possible relations which hold between intervals. Right. And typically, you, know, you can think of an interval as, you know, being identical, equal to each other, or they can overlap. Right. Or one can be, you know, properly included within the other, or they can right. touch each other at boundaries. Right. So you so get there's some interesting ideas there. And yeah. Anup, is there a way of um, donning the philosophical hat? And uh, I think there was a notion somewhere in what Indrajit was talking about 
the infinitesimal event. So is there a such a thing as that? And what what is an event more metaphysically? Uh, what what does it say to you? See, uh, building on Inderjit's points, actually, uh, uh, what the question would be. Uh, not what happened only mm-hmm. uh, which one was the event but what is an event mm-hmm. and then what is the ontological status of an event right and there what we would have is uh, a number of kind of ontological interlocutors mm-hmm. we will have to separate event from object a point he was also making just now that objects occupying space event is as if more time it's happening so the temporal aspect is more pronounced in pronounced events. apparently right. apparently but the other interlocutor would be events and facts hmm facts are atemporal hmm so caesar died is a fact mhm 1000 years back and it's a fact now mhm but the event is temporal so mm-hmm. in that sense um, objects are as if occupying space and they are remaining within time events are of course in a certain space but they occur in time but they occur in time right. so However, there's an element of occurrence there's an which is why linguistically we right. use what happened right so you say an event happens an object is right. right so in that way one can make a distinction between event and object event and time and how event. sharp is this distinction the because distinction clearly, is not sharp yeah because, because you know some of this is definitional so yes, one can kind of keep yes. it it's analytical it's yeah. largely coming from analytical philosophy mm-hmm. this kind of distinction mm-hmm. and i would like to think beyond this kind of distinction sure uh, but uh, if one thinks through that mm-hmm. you will you will have a number of angles over here one is the event object distinction is actually not so sharp finally so say for example an example that is usually given in a philosophy class there is an apple which we will call an object but the apple is decaying is as if evental mm. but then the decaying apple is the apple Hmm. So what is an object without an event hmm. and what is an event without an object hmm. Hmm. and in that sense when you distinguish between event and fact you will then have to go into something in the jitres just now and it's very important actually the fine grained and the coarse grained distinction right will you distinguish events from its other ontological interlocutors in a fine grained way so uh uh the example that is given in in philosophy classes would be that uh, uh caesar was stabbed by, by brutus and caesar died a violent death right now uh are, are they the same or are they different right do right. they together constitute the event right or are they two moments in this and why why is this an important question why why does it have a status beyond hair splitting if you know what i mean see there are some philosophers mm. who want a fine grain understanding of events mm. uh, securely 
when might that be important is the question i can just interject yes. here yes so so you know one clear example to answer your question is is with places you know we hmm. we assume places as are, are essentially like objects right and that you know they have uh, they sort of last right. but anybody who looks at a map uh, a more ancient map knows that geography is always changing, always changing. <laughs> and geographical terms always changing the extents right. of where a place is the cities extents. are growing shrinking expanding and so forth and also places go away Hmm. historical terms come you know come and go hmm. so so you need to then decide whether you want to you know index everything temporarily so ultimately you know it's a question of where do things belong do they belong inside the predicates associated with events hmm. uh, are they so attached to them sense, directly or are they really uh, you want to attach them to objects as well right uh, so it it's it's really a question of you know which things are viewed as intrinsic <laughs> and right. which are viewed as more extrinsic but they, but everything is indexable temporally and spatially and you know time behaves a bit differently from space but at a very abstract level you could yes, think yes, of them spatial temporal uh, yeah you can think of them as special temporal regions yeah but place is closer to an object rather than a fact it has right. this object like feel to right. it right. Uh, and right. and you know it has uh, no that's but, that's so interesting yeah, balaji yeah. how does all of this get encoded in our heads um what is so d- the manner in which we store facts is that different from the manner in which something more episodic with the nature of with an element of time or interval or sequence or some temporal characteristics where are you on some some of so, this uh, in general uh, the region uh, you know anatomically speaking the region that encodes the events and facts uh, that tends to be hippocampus at least in the short time period and that's both being encoded in the same region right however uh, over a period of time but are there sub regions within the hippocampus or that doesn't uh, matter that much i don't think i mean that's uh, there are sub regions within hippocampus but for this classification i don't think we need to sure. get into that sure uh, but the problem is that uh, over a period of time you do i mean people do distinguish the idea of uh, event and the fact in a different form of memory like for example if you you're you recollecting that you had spent a vacation in a say in a beach or in an island right. is an recollection of an event um mm-hmm. that you are talking about but the fact andaman is an island mm. and people go mm. for a vacation uh, would be a fact mm. and uh, it so so facts it, don't happen events happen that's right I mean, events happen and it it's in relevance pretty much to you i mean you either it could be because of you had been there or either you heard that somebody went there or you learned that people go there or so you have experience of events that's right i mean so, it's it's always an experience that is associated right. with the event if not uh, for that it would have been a fact right so are these stored differently the factual sort of memory versus uh, the eventual uh, in the uh, as i episodic. said in the short term definitely no it uh-huh. if you remove my hippocampus both of them are uh, i mean you are equally bad in being able to store these memories right um however in a long term uh, people have been trying to distinguish um factual the semantic memory versus yeah. episodic That's memories right. uh it's uh, debatable you can actually do it or not do it in terms of uh, different regions uh, but yes definitely um behaviorally one can go about testing whether it is a semantic memory or it's a um 
experience a live episodic memory definitely you can do that. I, i was wondering about all the you know sensory experience associated with uh, episodic memories because you have activation not only on the visual and auditory system but there might be smells and colors and so forth uh, associated with um, a particular experience and so the episodic memory could be very rich because it has all these associations with sensory modalities whereas a fact memory of a fact is is more kind of propositional abstract so i'm wondering if that makes a difference because you know you've activated right whole regions of your sensory cortex or something ha huh. so when you actually are trying to recollect a, a sensory memory i i don't think we do activate the sensory cortex essentially right? but yes true the um, when we record are, it we do uh, when, when when we record it yeah. and it's true that you can uh, it's much easier when it comes to emotional memory you can relate to it easily so when you recollect the emotional memory you do activate the regions which are actually um associated with the emotion right the but, fear yeah of, but is it possible to have the faculty to record new episodic memory but not record new semantic memory if you know what i mean so you go for this holiday to the beach so mm-hmm. you know that you've gone and you had that experience and you have the memory of that experience but somehow this fact that people go to beaches for holidays that part is not there or doesn't happen um because it, that's that's is, the more complex question as opposed to the other where we could flip this question between semantic and episodic and that sounds straightforward okay. but what about this case so the uh, the idea is that um, what we know from our um, previous um, studies that's been done mm-hmm. right so the, there uh, the phenomenal study of hm where he his hippocampus was removed where so hm he, is the patient from the patient right, sure. uh, from um, Oh, well, I think he died recently. Yeah, he died recently sure. in 80s, but the he, uh, the the surgery happened in the 1950s, 56 around Correct. that. Right. Um where um his medial temporal lobe was removed and this patient for curing his epilepsy, but then his patient lost his ability to form any new memories. The memories here I'm talking all about, new memories. Um all new memories of this kind. right uh, but he was able to form memories uh, associated with skill learning procedural learning and stuff like that right he was uh, uh, taught how to pack cigarettes hmm. and in fact that's one of the way he kept his life busy for Uh, <laughs> for the rest, of, the rest of the life i hope he was also a smoker uh, <laughs> well doesn't matter that, uh, with this <laughs> i don't know but the uh, irony is that doctor who operated on him hmm. had to introduce himself every day for the rest, the rest of, of his life, life. <laughs> and it so uh, clearly he was not able to um, form either episodic or semantic so um, in some sense he led an eventless life absolutely for him so he had uh, no events yes <laughs> the the events were all before the surgery right and he him. had full recollection of that uh well he, he recollected as much as you and me would, would do. recollect sure uh so there's natural decay natural loss of performance or whatever so that's always there but uh, but uh, that was there i mean he would he would, he knows his name he knows his family he knows um where he is from he everything that is associated with his childhood yes he was absolutely right. same, uh, good with um that's uh, so interesting uh the point here is that why is this uh, happening there hmm. if you actually try to let's try to stretch a little bit uh, stretch a little bit of what we know hmm. to kind of throw things in air and hmm. then hypothesize why this may be happening mm-hmm. 
you have this process uh, where from hm studies and others uh, we learned that um, even though hippocampus is very pertinent to form this new memories mm-hmm. over a period of time these lifetime experiences are um, again and again being either played through dreams or you go back or you learn or, or you, you heard, recollect, or recollect or, so, right. so many yeah. uh, different ways they've been played back and these playbacks are um, responsible for uh, tra- uh, l- making the other regions of the brain occur this memories right when that happens there you have a way of forming what we call as a fact right so just by so wh- there are two ways of learning a fact right mm. you can learn a fact as in textbook way mm. somebody tells you paris mm. is a capital of france mm. but you can also do it the other way around where through experiences you uh, kind of discover the fact a railway station is going to be in such and such manner right nobody taught you right that this is how it should be but you know when you look at a railway station yeah it is a railway station right so th- that kind of facts so these are inferred facts absolutely via some experience there's an element of deductive logical reasoning or something of that nature going on That's, and uh, hmm. you see think think evolutionarily this is very very pertinent for survival of the life you need to be able to learn from your experience yeah. and uh, get these facts um uh, straight there yeah. and that's where that system uh, been the extra hippocampal system exists there there you can actually make the distinction of what is a fact and what is an event but how 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 That's does correct how does correction occur in this thing because beliefs get revised after a while all facts what you store as a fact might in fact be no more than a belief yes uh, which then needs to be corrected either because the world changed or because it was wrong uh and so one possible uh, uh, one possibility right so it very much depends on whom we are talking to but mm-hmm. one possibility is that the uh, this learning through repeated activations are very much a bayesian kind of an inference so right 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 so you are looking at okay this Things kind of conditional events, one fact influences the other and so on you kind of uh, get the congruent facts from many different events and put together okay these are all the things that happened in my life when what all uh, saw this event so maybe this should be a fact right but then you correct it when you substantial you see substantial amount of events later that's not true that's so interesting and why don't we go to you what would lakan say to this eventless life what does it mean to have an eventless life and is there a way of positing or arguing for what the nature of an event is in that context actually i i had a question for it's almost yeah uh, sure please balaji actually um, and building on the question of an please. eventless life um uh, much of it will depend on what is an event again so uh, would you make a sharp distinction and try to have event clearly delineated mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. objects from facts um what would be the role of properties in events mm-hmm. uh, in that sense um and i'll come to your uh, sure. question i think a question that would come to us uh, a two twofold one is is this packing of cigarettes mm-hmm. what now becomes his way of life um an event like the rising of the sun uh 
one question. The other question is the question I think Indrajit was raising. Um, what would happen to Ptolemic facts? Because uh, right. facts could be open to Copernican correction or Keplerian correction. So, um, with respect to this uh, uh, person, uh, H.M., uh, how would we understand event? Is is the cigarette? So, like, was it was H.M. changing his beliefs about things in that uh, somewhat different uh, state through so, the second uh, part of his life, or okay? So he was not doing anything consciously, right? And that's the idea of uh, t- uh, telling that there is no event. Meaning, uh, for him, meeting with the doctor never took place in his life. So even the packing of the cigarette was not an experience. Uh, it's not. I mean, it's not an experience for him. Right. What What happened was that uh, um, it uh, came out of a um, very simple study where he was asked to draw or trace a curve between two lines where the two lines define a star sure. without actually looking at the star. You have to look at the mirror image. Sure. If you try to do it ourselves, you will see it's 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 not an easy task. Sure. But you can do it. Sure. So uh, when you do that. Well, you start to make some errors, but with repeated practice, you get away with it. But right? it becomes almost a motor skill. It Absolutely, skill learning. So, yeah. Uh, so, cigarette packing was becoming a skill learning. It's pretty much like how you would ride your learn to ride your bicycle. Right. Now, so maybe riding a bicycle every day is not an event because you don't consciously experience it. It kind of goes somewhere back there. Hmm. Hmm. So, but so, then the very first time you learned the bicycle, and the very first time you fell on from the bicycle, that would have been an event which you would remember, I would remember, but he did, he did not remember his first packing not. of the. So, cigarette. is it intrinsically tied to notions of repetition, to status quo, to yeah, yeah. where which do is, we go on that? Uh, where your question was, perhaps, right? Um, uh, seen uh, a kind of analytic perspective, mm-hmm. we try to. Um, you know, quote-unquote, define event, mm-hmm. differentiate it from all others in that sense, and then fine grain or coarse definition, whichever way you want to do it, and you may have debates on this, you can take in between positions also over there. Sure. The question that uh, would also come over here, um, are we all living an eventless life, not just this person. So the ritual monotony and the everydayness of our lives, repetitive, our being situated in that kind of a life and we go on doing it in a repetitive manner and then Indrajit feels, let me retire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let, me not, let me not continue uh, in this situation anymore as if. So in that sense... So then anything that breaks the status quo is an event. So one way of looking at event mm-hmm. would be that the sun rises every day is an event. But the sun rising in Paris and the sun rising are different in Mumbai are the different events. Okay. And you go on into that hair splitting exercise over there. Um, the other is to say life is eventless. Life is situated in a repetitive mundane monotony. 
and are all our lives in that sense cigarette packing metaphorically and then the event is not what happens because so many things happen but and they Anu, happen all the which time which is where i think i think the link that we just made a little while ago between experience and events is kind of interesting yes. because if you experience something whether a new or experience it at all even if one doesn't put any post fix after that then potentially there's something happening which you experience in you isn't yes. it uh, yes. so you maybe don't experience the unpacking of cigarette or riding the bicycle or taking the elevator the every day um, but there are things that you experience so, so in what sense do you mean that so, are so, all of us leading eventless so lives in in that sense the question is not what happened or what happens only because things are always happening things are always happening mm. the question another way of looking at the event mm-hmm. would be to what did not happen what mm-hmm. couldn't happen what has not happened mm. but now it happened right so right. So, so the impossible so think, becoming possible yes yeah i think this fits in very well with these uh, what he was alluding to with these bayesian models because you know you you you're sort of some things you know are highly repetitive and then there are things which are novel and are not really predicted which are elements of surprise right however you know we are living in time and perceptually you know uh, things have to be uh, you know we 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 have sort of thresholds yes below which we cannot perceive cannot distinguish events what do you yes. mean by that in the so case? so for example if you flash lights at people or or give sounds to people and make them hear it uh, you got to separate them by at least say 40 milliseconds before they uh, in order for them to say that one is after the other otherwise they'll perceive them as being simultaneous right now th- those are sort of subliminal not very interesting events the flashing of a light because they're not very meaningful unless it was a light flashing but they are thresholds at the level of perception uh, perceptual thresholds sure. and then it seems like you know there are events which are uh, you know repetitive enough they they meaningful events in our everyday life because either they signify something like the lights could signify you know an ambulance or something or they could be uh, events which are very meaningful personally and emotionally but at some level uh, you know things become routine and they compile down and you you operate as if in a sort of automaton like fashion and then suddenly yes. there's an element of surprise That's so and you've got to and you've got yeah. to completely uh, adjust to it and those events are really things which are uh, you know are surprising events. events and they define uh, kind of at the level of granularity these are sort of major events for you because either you unlearned something which you knew before yeah. or you made a change so is it linked to the notion of knowledge yes yes so it it changes your knowledge of something it could be a fact it could be a belief it could be it could be a truth it could be a truth. truth your encounter with a certain truth truth mm. about yourself truth about the world mm. truth about our way of being in the world mm. so in that sense it produces what could be called disruption rupture a break right which is also a, a breaking in right so so or a breakthrough so so what causes an event anup the more interesting question would be what holds the causing of an event okay so so sure so, so the uh, the the situation is as if halting rendering event impossible mm-hmm. so in that sense so uh, what renders an event impossible yes what renders an event impossible what what renders what what renders us hostage to a repetitive everyday mm-hmm. so in that sense uh, uh, a way of looking at it 
would we say say uh, what is making the event impossible mm-hmm. what's what, the answer you cannot predict an event you 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 cannot uh, uh, render the the future knowable so in that sense there will be an absolute contingency mm. what would emerge as an event you cannot you cannot uh, uh, say beforehand here is an event and the event is going to emerge exactly in this manner but doesn't just being in the world leads to possibilities of events yes yes we are surrounded by these possibilities because otherwise would be objects yes. would just but 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 would just be yes but at the same time these possibilities are also escaping us all the time so we are always placed in a very very you know uh, precarious relationship with what is possible and what is impossible in our worlds so so in that sense uh, yeah so you know one of the ways to think of this in a sort of logical in, in terms of logical formalisms is, is some notion of branching time mm. so we have all these possible futures and mm. also branching paths so when we reason about uh, events we often you know in our mind thinking about possibilities which we there is what if question regret and would yeah. have liked to have happened and, and imagining the future in order to rehearse or prepare oneself or you know wishful thinking right but in all these cases you can actually and this is what we uh, we try to do because you know you can have these linear models of time where everything just succeeds each other endlessly and then you have times where you essentially involve some kind of notion of modality uh, or modal logic where you're thinking about what is possible and uh, then you can reason about it and we i'm not saying that we necessarily use the full modal logics <laughs> in our reasoning because we may actually be doing something much more was statistical nature but uh, there's certainly this notion what do you mean branch- by modal logic in this context oh, but the, is it like uh, what do you mean by it? You, you can think about possible you can make statements about something is possible the hypothetical uh, yeah something the, is possible and true and so you think of things occurring in many possible worlds, worlds in branch, many worlds branched worlds yes yeah, so you have possible worlds and then you know there's some things which are true in all possible worlds and from some things which are possible because they're right. true in only one of these worlds right. and one of these worlds is the actual world so then you have accessibility relations you try to uh in this these these logics you you think about you know which worlds are accessible and right. so there are things which uh, logics for you know things having to do with uh you know promising <laughs> and you know things which uh, you might uh, uh you know the future how do you reason about the future how do you reason about the possible past so so essentially you have the, these branches in time and the way we think about events actually involves are living in this you know branching world and we're very cognizant of uh, events which actually occur as well as events which could not possibly occur or which might have occurred but you know we didn't know about it and right. things in the future which I think may the, may not the interesting question could be that are we dealing with something which is probabilistic or something as I know you pointed out is absolutely contingent in which case it is almost an accident right uh, because an event which is absolutely contingent and of course it's in the future and it, you don't really know everything that you need to know yes it is it is an ax it is it is i, I wouldn't say it's an accident mm-hmm. i would say it's contingent mm-hmm. but the the seed of the accident the core of the accident or the embryo of the accident is hidden in the present right so in that sense uh, that is where the notion of the hidden or the secret has to come in 
because because uh, the register of knowledge, mm-hmm. what we get to know, what we get to teach, uh, what we learn, etc., etc., and within that there could be the register of truth right. that is that is hidden. You see, in in so, some. Right. In in right. some sense, there's this. You know, when we're dealing in the social world with each yes. other, you're talking about you often involve actions. So you have uh, agents who are carrying out actions in the world, and you don't really know what their real motives are. Uh, but you you do reason, and in language always reflects that that you know there and stories, especially narratives, intentions, are, uh, intentions, and you know w- what are the intentions of an action, yeah, and uh, you know what are the outcomes of an action, yeah, you know did the story end happily or you know people yeah. ending up together or separated and those kinds of things, uh, but uh, you know so there there are these elements we seem to repeat across stories and myths and so forth which involve these stereotypical patterns of intentional action uh, you know the more or less what people have called scripts uh, right. for how people behave in the world and th- those correspond to very coarse grained patterns repetitive patterns uh, and you know some people have said there are no really new stories just you know there are only yeah, so many seven stories, stories seven whatever. stories and you know <laughs> there are famous <laughs> quotes like that so. no so you made this interesting point about time Balaji talking about the ev- leading a eventless life yes. and uh, kind of listening to both uh, if I were to uh, say what is an event I mean, being a living person living thing yes here. what is being eventless for a living thing, being right yes. um living being uh, i want to define an event or if i were to define an event in respect to a living thing you want to define it in terms of a relevancy mm-hmm. right you can think of uh, around the world there are thousand different things i mean countless amount of things that are happening right each of them you could have classified as event either in linguistically or in philosophically whichever manner but then you don't end up storing that because it's just that uh, it's not relevant it's not it's kind of for that person it's worthless right so now so, whether the happenings are relevant to you so what is relevance so uh, see we 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 evolve to be living there and want to be living there right so it it is about something that is pertinent to your life i mean something that you somehow related it has to be congruent to your past in some way uh or your in a very very uh, primitive times if you look at it it has to be relevant for your survival at some point or the other <laughs> right That's true. if if just it has to be that relevant right then you try to encode it if it is not you don't right you um we all travel right, right. how many times do we actually uh, or how many times can we actually recollect um we went in the air the ladder or we just went through the tunnel no i don't think you want to uh, do that right. every time but then one time when you are trying to climb up in the ladder your luggage falls or you fall down Right. for sure you will right. remember that right so that's where the relevance i'm pitching in so cigarette backing in that sense became irrelevant i mean it's and anyway it was never relevant to him right from yeah. the beginning yeah. but for us given his situation but for us our regular life is um we, there is no point in encoding other stuff when things are taken for granted it's how things are happening you increase the saliencies or the saliency of something or importance of something increases if something deviates from the regularity 
So right. there is not only that the fact that you're telling this story about cigarette packing, which I never thought of before. Uh, I may have thought of BD packing in some distant past, but now uh, it'll probably stay in my memory because it's brought up as a story. Uh, yeah. And so salience has been sort of established by some sort of narrative context. Absolutely. And right. now, even though it's not evolutionarily necessary for my survival. Uh, every time I read a book about cigarette packing, it gives I remember your past knowledge some more meaning. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So some contextualization has been uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you can actually change the, what you're uh, alluding to. Is you can actually change the value of something. Right. So if I were to call it as a passive events, which is which are events that are happening all throughout. Right. We, you're not paying attention to. Right. But against active events where you have actually embedded, you have taken it in, inside your brain, then you, uh, what you are alluding to is, y you have the ability to change a passive event to an active event, mm -hmm. and recollection, or referring to, is one way of doing that. Mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. that uh, in that sense, Balaji, uh, you, uh, one way of looking at it would be that event is also retrospective. Mm -hmm. It's not something that, that happens in the present, yes, strictly yes. speaking. Yes, you, 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 as if retrospectively. An event is always in hindsight. Is, is in hindsight, in that sense. It may yeah. be the immediate hindsight, but yes, it's yes. still a little bit in the past. Yes, and, and, and it's also a kind of imputing. Hmm. You give it the status of an yes, event. Yes, the point Balaji is making, it's a kind of imputing, hmm. actually. And then it has as if he's saying relevance, but it has become suffused with meaning. Mm. So, mm. what percolates my world at a point? So, that could be, an, that's the time, temporal dimension. Uh, right. So. No, that's so beautiful. And so, why don't you think of this time angle? Because, you know, one way to think of time could be in terms of sequence or in terms of intervals, right? So, as we think back on a bunch of things, even if I've sto one has stored them as events in one's head, at least I don't remember them in it the was. precise sequence with the precise gaps. So what's happening then? What's possible? What's not possible? So um, again, uh, this is uh, getting down from the comfort zone of what we know. And we're here. Yeah, feel free to go into the zone of the speculative or slightly uh, hypothetical thing, uh, coming to uh, things that are happening in our lab and what we know from there. Sure. So you can, it looks like you can actually think of time, mm -hmm. uh, the, the 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 set of events happening, mm -hmm. and then if you want to actually fully encapsulate the time, you definitely need interval and an order, right? That's that would kind of right. put things in perspective. What it looks like is that while it's pretty nice and pretty um, elegantly you can actually recollect in the recent past what has happened I mean like in the last half an hour can you put things in sequence, sequence what has the happened, order of order of things that you yeah. uh, that has happened and with the notion of uh, with, no, with the feeling of what that five minutes is what the two minutes is what that uh, thing it's very much possible however if you try to do that right about what happened on your 10th birthday or a fifth, uh, 15th birthday? Or even yesterday in my case. <laughs> yeah, that, that depends on the individual. Right. I mean, for me, sure. it, even the day morning, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> so you, um, then it becomes very, very hard. And in fact, right. I would like to propose and I hypothesize the interval accuracy and the interval uh, memory, right? You may know it as a fact, but 
that is not there for the older memories right. but the order seem to be a little bit more robust i mean again everybody is going to everybody is going to lose some of it but you lose more of the interval than the order right right as as the memory ages right right and is that it sounds quite all right but are you saying i are, are you positing this in a hypothetical kind of way why is this not a strict enough uh, uh, it's position? hard to test i mean it, it's uh, hard to i mean why is it hard to test whether essentially you're trying to establish whether order or intervals are more fundamental right to the uh, or even if you test them independently interval accuracy versus order accuracy that's essentially what you're trying to do absolutely yeah so interval but, but it's so subjective so that's presumably why it's so difficult to test yeah so i mean i work with mice and i cannot ask the mice how do you feel about 5 minutes right <laughs> so you have to devise other ways of uh, looking at it right but if you had human guinea pigs in a lab does it make uh, human better? guinea pigs the trouble is that uh, we tend to use logic Right. So when I ask you was it 5 minutes or 10 minutes how do I say I might deduce it as opposed that's to That's right. Right. And uh, having said that it's not impossible otherwise I won't be earning my bread. <laughs> it is possible. Uh, but we are trying there. Right. The can can one pose this question in the context of texts and other kinds of corpora? Yes, you, de- you definitely can. Where so, are we on this order interval business uh, in the jeet? Well, we we're not really at a sort of either or because both are subject to various factors which uh affect the accuracy with which people can uh annotate understand texts sure. in terms of what order things are happening so if you if you give people text to mark up uh, and the same thing happens with machines as well because they reflect the properties of the data which has been marked up right uh, you find that people are able to relate events in a text which are close to each other textually but things which are further apart they're not able to get the exact order in which they occurred and uh likewise for also oh, in a way one is influencing the other right right so in, so in a way they are because you're saying that if they're further apart then you're not even able to if say they're the further order. apart in the text you you might get inconsistent annotations so right. you might uh, you know essentially you know if a is before b and b is uh, you know before c a should be before c but if c is very far away from b right. then you you may get some that relationship that relationship may 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 be contradicted or may not be really uh, known it may be left unspecified right. so that that's one sort of thing the other thing is you know how how far when you look at people reading stories uh, the sort of distance in time from the now seems to matter So you know mm-hmm. if you take psychological experiments you know they have people read a story and then some event happens in the story and then they have some intervening events they give them so maybe there's somebody having a christmas party and at the end of it they have an argument and then they go into the kitchen to do some baking or something sure. like that to cool off and then you come back and you said uh, you use a probe like an uh, an africa reference a pronoun referring back when you lost your temper when you had that sh- hissy, hysterical attack of hysteria hysteria Uh, and you ask people uh, to try and uh, read that uh, anaphorn how long do they take to process it so it you know they take a much longer time if they if there's basically the distance of that event in the story was greater so oh, uh, so from the anaphor the event of the anaphoric, shouting yeah, yeah, from sure. where you are in the story so right. so so there seem to be some sort of ability to kind of calibrate core at a very coarse grain level to sort of construct these mental models of 
how far apart, what the distances of things are in time, you know, uh, measure these times. But they, they use essentially uh, approximate reasoning, order of magnitude reasoning. It's like measuring in terms of arms and fingers right. rather than exact calculations. And that those are the experiments which have, in the computational linguistics world, there's good evidence that order of magnitude reasoning is used for these kinds of distances. And is right. there a way to quantify these things? I know it will depend on a million things and many, many factors, but what kind of distance is very problematic and what kind of distances are relatively sharp? Um, and I know it depends on the nature of text, the how, how granular the text itself is and so on. Right. I mean, it varies a lot with the type of event. I mean, you know, people tend to agree on, you know, things which happen uh, a day versus uh, much longer. But then when you try to annotate, uh, you know, distances in time which are shorter, uh, within a day, for example, there may be a lot of disagreements on the bounds. Like, you know, if you think of some, uh, uh, you know, an accident, you think of it as being, uh, when you're trying to annotate, uh, you know, how long that accident occurred right. as described in the text, people may vary it because a lot of things are left implicit in the text. They're not made explicit. So you have to rely on common sense right. knowledge rather than what's told to you. Right. And people have all kinds of notions of how long things might take. So th there's a kind of distribution there. Where are you on this, uh, Balaji? How sharp and coarse-grained can this be? So if one shuffles a pack of cards, obviously there are other problems with memory. So, so is there a time zone or a time period in which, let's say, even this order accuracy is almost 100% for most of us? Uh, uh, yes, I mean, uh, again, uh, as a neuroscientist, you want to put uh, try to put everything to a neuroanatomical basis. And you can so, respond on behalf of your mice if you feel uncomfortable uh, <laughs> about human beings. <laughs> of, yeah, on behalf of mine and several other mice who sacrificed their lives. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but the point is that uh, there are uh, regions of the brain um, which, res I mean, which respond at different points in time. So mm -hmm. if there are times that uh, you're talking about in very, very, very short time, temporal period, uh, hippocampus doesn't play a role. And somewhere in between okay uh, hippocampus is very strongly linked and much long l after it doesn't come in at all right just recently means uh, like two two weeks in the f the first week of june uh, as we are talking um, there have been findings uh, neural neuronal recordings from these mice and where they try to say if you look at the grain coarseness, as you were saying, for space encoding versus time encoding, mm -hmm. uh, you can find neuronal cells, neuronal populations, where uh, the space encoding is pretty much the uniform, in, in the sense, um, the delta, the small change. That the you, unit is uniform. Uni, unit is uniform. The equispaced. Equispaced. However, the time, that's not the case. Oh, I mean, so the decay more, is sharper. That's right. The, the so it's exponential decay or whatever yeah, terminology. More close to that, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. That's so interesting. Yes, Anup. Uh, in the psychoanalytic setting, hmm. um, we have a different experience uh, uh, in the sense that uh, human beings uh, present themselves with extraordinary knots of time, cane, OTS. Sure. And uh, say, for example, a child has witnessed parental coitus. 
say mm-hmm. for example and the child doesn't have the conceptual sure. wherewithal sure. to make sense of that the sure. child sees it as two people fighting sure um, and uh, it produces an extraordinary uh, knot of time in the child's uh, trajectory so historical or life historical time is not the only time we occupy as if another temporality mm-hmm. in terms of how we relate relevance balaji mm. uh, the relevance of an everyday thing parental so is an, so is an event like that ever yes. present yes. or yes that 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 you do you mean not in that sense yes yes are we occupied by such eventual knots which are also time knots but these knots could also be confabulatory knots that confab complete yeah, sure. fabrication it could be imagined because imagined, yeah. uh, human life is always tied to imagination fantasy or, or so even it's not realistic interpretation of interpretation some... it's not realist it's not a it's not real Sure. always in that sense but it has real effects on us so by not you mean an emotional uh, yes and high a, point or yes, something like that a, a kind of in fact that is where i wanted to come in it, it's as if a right ki- kind of radical interval mm. in in a monotonous order so you go to school you go to college you do your phd you are going on but that thing is ticking inside you as a, as a kind of uh, so kind of singular event which might never happen again which you've never seen before yes, which you don't have conception of maybe yes, yes and so, you can't make sense of it so you don't you quickly. can't even put signifiers on it because yes, you have no yes, idea what yes, it is so yes. it's almost a pure object yes it's a, it's a thorn stuck in the flesh right but stuck nevertheless right. which you cannot call a thorn right uh, in in that sense right so so in that you sense, almost don't know what it is you almost don't know what it is but it's not unknowable sure. altogether so in that sense uh, uh, the the eventual uh, could present itself in the human uh, in this way and yeah it uh, it seems like there's i mean to take up that point it seems like there's always this sort of parallel world of of uh, commentary and subjective experience and emotional overlaying of events so when we talk about events you know we have to introduce intersubjectivity and 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 the the reaction uh and all these sort of associations we we bring to it and certainly this sort of uh, uh emotional response i mean that seems to be to me at the core of how we respond to events in stories uh because you know we are so trained in the real world to have this sort of emotional response and now we've got this simulated uh world where you know we right. agree to suspend uh disbelief and then uh you know certain events have uh uh this sort of uh, your reasoning about these emotional outcomes and experiencing them sort of in this virtual sense and th- that seems so so the ontologies themselves are kind of weak Yes. Rep- because philosophy has typically not looked at this sort of parallel world of intersubjectivity yes, uh, in terms of characterizing ontologies you think of these as objects in a purely mathematical fashion but you don't think of this sort of interactive <laughs> reacting a- agent affective uh, affective affective events true true in that sense historical events are not the only events yeah psychobiographical yeah. life historical events are also yeah. events uh, an angle balaji was also taking uh, they become very important so an event could be within me yes 
and it could be within my body it could be within cocooned. my psyche cocooned cocooned scripted scripted history is scripted yeah but the event is scripted yeah uh, within me so in that sense um, and maybe history is also carrying such scripted moments all the time and it's a, it's a it's a way of retrospectively or with fidelity coming to uh, relate to what is scripted within otherwise yeah it's a timeline but where is the knot of time within the timeline where is it knotted let's ask balaji how does one encode what one has no clue about how so it's one thing to you know miss a train or trip on the plane stair um but and it's another to have an event or experience something or witness something that you have no idea how to place or it's it's an alien alien event or an alien object or an alien occurrence or some kind of a combination that you've never seen before you're likely to see again so because there's there are no associations to think of that things of that nature obviously there are sensory associations which are always there but is 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 there any work on things of that nature i wonder how how you can put such events in a lab so i get that part but um actually it's easier view this in an analogic uh, sure. with an analogy so let uh, i take a lab mice mm-hmm. who hasn't seen any um, anything other than the cage that it's been bred on the cage that has been grown and now i take that mice and then put it inside a chamber hmm. all right and uh, uh, play a small tone and then um, right after the tone people uh, do that uh, a mild food shock has been presented sure so now for that mice this entire scenario you, you mentioned food shock yeah food shock okay right it's just a, this slight uh, discomfort sure right so um f- for that mice um this entire thing entire episode entire event if you like to call is completely alien right it's it has right. never experienced that at all right neither it has seen somebody else experience that because it's right. been bred right it's wonderful they they the, uh, the brain is striving for such situations to encode this information oh is that so yes. so the brain is very alive for novel experiences is that right is that an uh, inference or that's too absolutely plain? but that is pertinent to your survival right because if you don't learn that right you have to do that i mean um, many many uh, think about in wild real wild right, right. so uh, a grizzly bear looking for a salmon right right it need to f- keep track of what is routine and what is not routine right right it needs to know the exceptions but that's, exceptions are still very different from the singular events that's true so the uh, one way you think of singular the reason why it becomes singular is mathematically speaking is that there is a extremely sudden change the rate of change is right. so high that you think of that as a singular event right right so um you um you don't want to think in terms of continuum right so you can still the same thing holds here right so, something that fast happens mm-hmm. and it is life it's a matter of life and death mm. you better encode that right if you want to survive right 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 so right. a general rule of thumb it's if you like it you can call it as the newton's law of uh, psychology if you like it is uh, uh, a learning rule called the rascola and wagner put forward by those two which says 
the amount of learning or amount of encoding you do is directly proportional to the amount of surprise oh that's loosely so put. beautiful that's just completely loosely put but and do all of you agree on this is this straightforward well i'm i'm completely agreeing with that but <laughs> <laughs> there are some exceptions but that's just like newton's exceptions to newton's law but the scope sure. is so vast that you don't sure 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 but sure. but trauma can you know uh, aversion can sort of dampen i would assume learning at some point because you you certainly want to not go there again and be in that situation if it was a painful or negative event at the same time your ability to recall it might you might be repressing out of fear uh, you know when we think of uh, you know negative events we often uh, repress them because we are scared to re-experience them uh absolutely so here i'm to- totally talking in terms of encoding encoding that right. event not right. the decoding side of it right. so much but right. i think right. maybe we'll get to. so what's the future what's the future in the jeet what's the future of what might new events be what might be new kinds of event might what well, might be new ontologies in well, the, the future future is obviously impossible to predict accurately sure. so as, as uh, so we just us, we just uh, sort of idly speculating yes but uh, yeah so so it seems very clear that you know uh, we're going to have much more fi- much more detailed information about events relevant to us as well as irrelevant information available all the time 24/7 mm-hmm. from you know the ubiquitous presence of sensors gathering information about us our feelings uh our speech our behavior and all of that is going to create this even vaster problem of trying to filter because now you no longer have you know the events in the wild which matter like catching the salmon but you got all this buzz of information right. and then trying to find meaning out of it what which of these events are really relevant to you right. or are you just going to be you know dissolve you know fragmenting yourself because you're not able to attend to the right signal in the midst of all this noise but then in in the midst of all of this what is our stance to that do we become more and more constrained or more and more open and are we becoming more and more like pinhole cameras looking at um because presumably if there's more information as a fraction you might be catching less but overall you're catching more is there a way to yeah we maybe we have a big deeper baskets to collect things in because we evolving and getting adapting to this changed environment but, but clearly you know the the introduction of technology into our everyday lives changes the way you know it sort of mediates between us and the world and as That's the true. mediation becomes more and more ubiquitous and uh, intrusive we're going to have less and less say in terms of what is you know psychologically already you know people are inundated with information and a lot of it is selected by you know forces larger than us right. to determine what what will be fed us and what will not be fed us so that's right instead of you know using your own uh, sensory organs you got this mediated technology blasting <laughs> certain kinds of Which events at you trick sense at least in an objective sense is not an event because it's come to you by an algorithm or something so yeah true true so th- so then the selection you are going to have to adapt and maybe uh, you know we will adapt of course being you know eminently sure. adaptable but <laughs> at the same time uh, you know we may risk losing certain kinds of senses sense of integrity of the personality i think because you you know you're so fragmented by different things you you become a sort of Uh, you know, you might become a kind of space cadet. <laughs> Interesting. Sort of so, what are the ad- adaptations likely to be like? Uh, I know you're taking like moonshots at what the future might be like. So, you're yeah. likely to be more wrong here than some of the previous things that you spoke about. But still, uh, yeah. The, um, the 
probably that um, i mean uh, even this the idea of um, the larger surprise thus uh, you do encode the things um, so you can actually think of that as um, um, but it's also about the number of surprises right you can't have like 10 surprises every day irrespective of do, do you know what i mean yeah there's so, probably uh, an upper limit to the number of surprises, surprises that you can have right so kinds of surprises right hmm. so uh, at some point uh, so y- what you are trying to say is um, the, as uh, as you keep increasing the set right the occupancy of the set um the new coming new information is going to overlap with something or the other so right. that it's not any longer a surprise so you have to adapt probably to say that okay this set of information is important to me i have to uh encode that right so the person maybe i can see uh, who can make that better choice okay? right uh of okay i'm going to stick to this and look here encodes that it's not that he is going to survive the other person is not but he made a choice or he she made a choice to do this and not the other and neuroanatomically those choices help or we kind of in you know, a bind a little bit um, like does it help to decide that i'm going to focus on this and not focus on this um or there is something always free. a give and take right, right. Uh, you are restricting yourself in uh, um, in saying that okay i'm going to only doing this the cost is the explorative nature so you don't widen your palette right right right, right. on the other hand um you have a better ability and you are utilizing your time much better and focusing just that and learning about all that that you can have so um no that's nice i think that's interesting over to you anup i think as a philosopher you have greater latitude and what's the future and what might be the nature of new events uh, new can, kinds of events can i build on the discussion that you happened should, between yes. surprise and encoding and yes. uh, it was beautiful the discussion that happened sure. between the two of them uh, my feeling is that if the if the element of surprise is high or it's trauma it is so much of a surprise mm-hmm. uh, it is shattering um mm-hmm. it is possible that the encoding will happen elsewhere and one way uh, of looking at it uh, uh, in earlier days would be to say it would get encoded in the unconscious right um, but contemporary neurobiology of dreams right is giving us a sense that the brain is capable of extraordinary encodings building on that surprise or trauma so so i agree with balaji actually that but i agree with you also in that sense that yes it could, would be encoded but it would be encoded in a very very uncanny way in a in a in a in a in a dream maybe it will get encoded um and uh, it will it will come back to us so 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 in that sense so when you say encoded elsewhere you mean encoded another way in another way mm-hmm. it's the same brain uh, uh, i i have a very uh, crazy way of putting it sure. um, that in a dream the brain works in reverse gear <laughs> it starts from the frontal lobe right and moves to the occipital it generates images right 
right as if thought is before right. whereas in a daytime situation hmm. it's the, the world around. so as if the the brain is moving in reverse gear so it's that's the elsewhere nothing more sure. nothing more uh and in that sense it will get encoded mm-hmm. so uh uh what comes to me with respect to the future uh, at one level i get a little sad because i feel there is no fidelity um in catching nothing of everything which is mm. how it's coming to us um but then maybe we will find some encoding somewhere out of this would it be literature would it be cinema mm. would it be media would it be images uh, would it be something else something new uh, we will it would have to be summarized in a new way in a new it? way because perhaps it's not it's not just a selection question yes yes, yes. it's not just a selection question because especially with the swath yeah, of data we cannot consciously select it right. and and uh, uh, let me put it this way 1895 to 1900 Uh, there were inputs right definitely uh and cinema found us psychoanalysis found us right uh relativity found us <laughs> so 1905 yeah 1905 right uh, right so in that sense um uh, something uh will find us <laughs> rather than uh, uh uh we finding something necessarily sometimes and and uh, humanity will make sense of it in some form or the other uh, and yeah, relate to the eventual in a certain so way so you almost yeah. anticipate yeah a new way of encoding/decoding/summarizing yes. slash slash yes. yes you see this is where i think our freedom lies because you know as you have more data about individuals and you know collections of groups of people then behavior becomes more predictable and many manipulable of course as we know right. and that that is going to accelerate as a social um, trend and good things can also come out of it apart from you know power uh, in- right. inequalities due to power relations but you can get uh, you know better medical uh you know results for uh, treatments for diseases and so forth uh on the other hand you know the human being is going to become more of an automaton in terms of view, this external view because their behavior can be predicted from us at a biological level at a behavioral level and so uh so there's much more sort of understanding Uh, but that understanding is not the same as self knowledge and self experience so so the ability to do this kind of en- as primary encoders that. we we are able to sort of express our own freedom by by choosing <laughs> how to interpret this world and cr- we'll come up with new new ways as you're suggesting and and there in a the sense we are yeah. no longer automata because we 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 are sort of creative <laughs> creative souls and so what could the form be of this new thing and we'll end with that what could the form be very difficult questions i i really don't know uh something will find us something will get founded or maybe it's already there we are not yet sensing it in an encoded manner so it's 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 a secret in the womb of the present perhaps an excessive impossible present and and from that some possibility will emerge because every time uh human beings have found something which is where uh the freedom waits for us uh, rather than 
we waiting for us, the freedom us <laughs> landing up yes. where the freedom is yes, mm-hmm. yes. terrific i think that's a good note to end, end this on thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you thank you, thank thank you. you.